thanks for downloading this episode from Teachers Talk Radio. You can find the full schedule and listen back to all our shows at ttradio.org. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, leading publishers of books, directories, educational guides and magazines aimed at schools in the UK and beyond. Enjoy the podcast. Um, good morning, Mary. Lovely to have you back. It's lovely to be here. Thank you. It's been it's been a while, um, but I have still been following you and seeing the incredible progress that you have made. Can you tell me what you've been up to? Oh wow, it has been a very eventful year. I would I would say because we've had I've had so many projects, you know, leading to um, kind of talking about non-native English speaking teachers, how they can market themselves, what they can do to overcome the objections that are um, constantly and consistently being thrown at them. And yeah, I've written um, an article uh, on the El Gazette, thanks to Melanie Butler, about you know hiding behind privilege. I've tried to raise awareness on this topic more and more. And I've done recently some live events where I've asked some uh, experts to join me on join me with the conversation that I was having and kind of provide value and their own insights to this uh, topic that I'm I've been treating for the past uh, two years at this stage yes <laughs> it's um yeah it's been a um I remember we met um in Venice at um the equals yeah at the equals conference and you were you were quite um provocative in in some sessions which um people didn't expect did they no and I have to say that I don't I still don't think that they are ready for this type of uh you know the wider audiences are not ready for uh an upfront confrontation it's it's how they see it I think when I talk about this this uh this topic or this theme, right? Because ultimately what I'm saying is that the ELT industry is kind of discriminatory and racist and not many people are seeing it. The And some people are seeing it the same way, but they don't want to put themselves so much on the line as to speak about it as openly as I would. And, you know, granted, I understand that a lot of people are maybe not in the place or it's a taboo topic within the industry, but um, I want to take advantage as much as I can with my own platform mm. in exposing it and, you know, providing some some insight and what I call real talk. <laughs> I'm playing I'm playing devil's advocate here a little bit because yeah. I'm not sure if you you joined the the YLT SIG conference this year. I haven't actually. Um, there was a very, very um, prominent person from the British Council and he actually did touch on this in his presentation it's a really good one if you can get back to watching it mm -hmm. and he told the story of um, a highly qualified delta non-native speaker mm -hmm. who lived in france she is polish i believe and she had applied to hundreds of schools in france and not and was not employed because she wasn't a, a native speaker yes but she was employed at the British Council and she's one of their you know very good strong qualified teachers sure. um sure. British Council in a certain sense is one of well it's one of the leading organizations alongside International House mm -hmm. um and certainly in Italy there are the Isley schools which I kind of frequent through exams work and they seem to be really 
recognizing the non the qualified the qualified yes non-native speakers and i'm really grateful for that first of all because when people touch and whoever it is that talks and speaks about this this uh, troubles and issues whenever they talk coming from personal experience um or you know talking about someone who has been through it i think it's kind of validating for the majority of us who have been through the processes and, and know exactly what it is like um and the second thing was um i feel that things are changing and they have been changing towards the better i just don't understand how um even though i think we spoke about this also last year when we when we spoke when we did this recording that it's a matter of we have raised awareness people are changing their belief system they are recognizing that qualification is more important than a birthplace, but still the ads haven't changed. Ads <laughs> yes. Haven't. <laughs> and still nationality plays a very big part in the hiring system and the recruiting system. And still people call for, you know, inner circle countries and people coming from the US and, and uh, the United Kingdom and Canada and New Zealand and Australia, maybe not not even so much Ireland, but still it is it is still in the requirement. So I see the change, yes, definitely. More people are aware, more people are fighting these discriminatory practices. However, we can't, you know, we can't say that the, the issue has been solved. Mm. I've been, uh, since the last time we spoke, I've been more active on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. And I've been getting, you know, job, ad, uh, job ads and receiving some, uh, I'm in the ELT professional groups and I've been looking at what what the, the conversations are about and what most of them are. What kind of things do you do? I've, I've noticed you've called out a couple of of ads. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what other things yes. have you been doing? Well yes I, I do that I, I keep raising I've been creating workshops and an upcoming series is coming uh, very soon on uh, LinkedIn. It's going to be a free event and a session you know, a series of sessions with experts, I'm not going to be addressing this issue directly, mm -hmm. as I think that maybe by spreading awareness through a kind of a wider prospect of conversations regarding ELT professionals could do better in terms of mm, making it more digestible, mm -hmm. I'm going to say. So you, you've wider. essentially broken it down into small parts. Yes, yes. I want to I want to take a look at it with, you know, the different uh, from the different perspectives and angles and which are going to be very important and interesting for for ELT professionals, whether they are native or non-native. So we're going to take that out of the equation for now mm -hmm. and really investigate, you know, go really deep into uh, what are we doing in the classrooms and what materials we're using, how the CEFR descriptors are playing a part in, you know, uh, have helping us address certain issues or choose the resources or the materials in our lessons. So we're going to take it a bit from a from a wider perspective and angle. Mm. But I can't promise that I won't be bringing into, you know, the conversation some aspects of being a non-native speaker in this in this general world of ELT, obviously, because 
it, it's yeah. something that pops up no matter what conversation we're having. So uh, essentially, are you looking at some of the teacher competencies in the CFR? Yes, yes, as well as what are the, um, you know, the criteria that defines a proficient speaker of English, mm -hmm. for instance. Um, also the recruiting uh, areas I'm looking into, you know, where I'm not, I don't want to reveal too much as I'm right now confirming who is going to participate. They're going to be like dialogues mm. basically between uh, myself and participants who are uh, very important names in the ELT industry. Okay. So yeah. it's going to be very, you know, the first session is going to be about culture and language. Yeah. So culture versus language. Sometimes they're intertwined, sometimes they're not. And uh, the majority of English um, schools sometimes, or, you know, they, they justify why they don't have uh, non-native English speaking teachers because culture is so important and they feel that uh, native speakers or local teachers can explain culture and be a part of culture awareness to, um, you know, guiding their students into that process of learning the language and the culture, they are the ones that are more able and fit to do that. So that's going to be the first session, for instance. I mean, so I'm Australian, so I can talk about kangaroos and, you know, we have, yes. everybody has Christmas on the beach. I mean, they're kind of stereotypes, aren't they? I, I agree with you, but I feel that there is a wide... You know, there, there is this preconceived belief that, in fact, that is not true, because having lived and, you know, been and, you know, I say uh, lived, uh, uh, you know, in the climate and air, etc. of Australia, then you would be more apt to, to be doing that. So a lot of people do believe it. And I, I sense that I want to have an open conversation mm -hmm. with those who believe uh, those things and be really open minded into trying to figure out how much of it really is. Um, how can, how can we put it trust trustworthy or um, how much that could be actually something that is true I don't want to come at it with a as as you have just now you know saying isn't that really stereotypical so you don't agree with it but I want to have a more open yeah, attitude and an open I mean, mind I've actually lived more of my life in Italy than I have in um yes in Australia now and I can tell you more about Italian but you see what, what language schools would say uh, Jane to this they would say that the person who goes to England expects someone from England teaching them but they usually when they, get to, when they get to the UK most of the summer school teachers aren't exactly <laughs> exactly but that is the reason why they would be hiring more native speakers or some native speakers, definitely, but fewer, fewer non-native English teachers. What do you think about the impact of Brexit in all of this? Because that has actually... No one has actually brought up this uh, uh, topic, except for myself. I've asked the same question, uh, especially here in Italy, where they say it's very, very important to, you know, come, you know, be European, act European, think like a European and everything European is seen as like they put it on the pedestal. And yet, uh, you know, no one has seemingly, no one has the awareness of saying, well, the, the UK is not part of Europe anymore. No one has had that enlightenment. And we're pretending- I know, I know a lot of language schools are having real trouble recruiting because there isn't that easy flow of people from the yeah. UK. 
Yes, exactly, exactly. And uh, so many people are talking about, you know, sometimes they justify, especially in, in Southeast Asia, you know, you don't have the requirements, the right passport to go and teach in terms of visa applications and so on and so forth. But it seems that, or at least, you know, I don't know if anyone who has reached out to say um, otherwise that I don't think the UK citizens have had any trouble getting permits or visas to go anywhere, even though they're not part of the European Union anymore. So I, I don't, I'm not an expert here um, on the matter, but the fact of the matter is that no one seems to be questioning or asking themselves why certain things are still the same way, uh, you know, going in that same line and in that same direction. So that's a question I, I would like to ask one of my guests eventually. Mm. I mean, you're, I mean, you and I are both Italy based and how do you see sort of the Italian take on it compared to the rest of Europe and Asia? Other Italy, I'm sorry to say, I love Italy, but I think it's maybe 20 years behind in terms of any innovation and any um, understanding of what it takes to be a teacher. In my daily conversations, I'm still educating or trying to raise awareness on the fact that uh, madre lingua or mother tongue speaker doesn't actually make a teacher. I'm still having those conversations, but like three, four times a day. And who do you because think? I hear it so often. Who do you think is deciding most of this? Is it the school or is it the parents? It's the vicious circle of everyone fitting into each other's false belief and this created, you know, idea of. It's something that I think we create together in terms of the schools think that that's what the, their clients want and that's what their parents you know, want. And so they advertise that, thinking that that's what they need and that's what they're looking for. And then the parents are saying, even when they look for private language tutors and you know people to follow their children, they're like, okay, but he, he or she needs to be mother tongue. And because <laughs> that's what all schools are offering. So I'm going to go on with that narrative of that's the most important thing. And when I've, I've never heard anyone who's just, you know, from age two and three, they start looking for a mother tongue speaker teacher. Mm. And that is the most valued asset that a teacher can have is to be mother tongue here. It's never. And I keep saying, well, don't, don't just stop at that, at that, you know, because Italian parents are very like helicopter parents, right? They really care about everything their, their children go through, what they're eating, every, everything has to be the perfect degree, everything. They're well informed of everything. Mm -hmm. But then I'm starting to, you know, ask them, okay, this person works in, in a language institution or in a language, private language school. How much do you know about them? Are they in fact qualified to teach? Because I know for a fact that personally, the language school that first hired me, hired me without any qualification. Mm. So I, I have been, you know, on the, on the receiving uh, side of this. So I was not qualified to teach, but I was working for a language school. So for some, just because I was in a language school, I was fully qualified. This is sort of, some alarm bells are ringing here. Um, mm -hmm. If they're not qualified, or maybe the qualifications haven't been checked, what about security checks? Mm -hmm. Yes, I wonder, I wonder myself, is there any... You know, there's so many accrediting bodies that have to look into who the personnel and the staff of the schools are. Mm. I personally know 
about a lot of language schools that don't have qualified personnel. And I wonder, and that's another one of the topics that I want to dig into, mm-hmm. who, who are these uh, accrediting bodies and how deep do they go into searching for specific qualifications that the teacher ho- the teachers hold or should be holding? But also information on like background checks. I, yeah. I mean, as I was um, at the British Council for 25, 24 years, and one of the um, one of the things that we would do every year is uh, background checks in the UK, and for people who've been living in Italy like me for such a long time, um, I would always have to get the nullaust from mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. the courts to you know to, to demonstrate that I am a safe person to be working. Well, with safety children. is one thing that I had to do as well. <laughs> language schools you know just that there's nothing against me that I'm you know not being pursued for anything that mm. I did that was illegal or but uh, not for qualifications mm. and I often you know I've come across a lot of articles and uh, one that made me really think and question this right is that if you can't as a native speaker so if you can't practice or be in the education field or be a teacher in your own country, then you shouldn't be able to teach anywhere else. Mm. Whereas so that is not... that we, we changed the actual qualifications that we're asking for. So looking for PGCE trained teachers who then might go on and do a CELTA or a DELTA, what, what, what? Well, it you... has to be, to me, it has to be educate, like education related, right? Something, someone in the education field, mm. uh, in Italy, we have a lot of people with diverse backgrounds and diverse studies who have a four-week course in, in a, or a CELT or a TEFL, etc., and they are okay to teach. But a non-native English teacher, and again, you know, I, it, this is the topic that arises every time we speak about it, is that um, I can have a master's degree, I can have a CELT, I can have a DELTA, but still I'm, I'm not quite enough. It's not enough. I can have a clear background check. I can, but, and yet uh, someone who has not studied languages, who has not studied, someone coming from a monolingual culture who has done totally dif- different studies can still get access and be perceived as much better than anyone who has dedicated, you know, effort and time into getting an education and a formal training, which wasn't a four week course, but was five years long. And that's where things are very unequal, aren't they? Mm. yes it's not not particularly well balanced I mean do teachers uh, English teachers without any how let me put it this way let me rephrase it this way how far can an English teacher without a specific degree in English language teaching or linguistics how far can they go within their own native country Hmm. Would a four-week course be enough for them to be teaching at what level? True. Yeah. No, I, I, I think that's very much worth investigating. Um, I would assume that they could be employed in sort of technical institutes or um, sort of those kind of um, organizations to get the experience up, but they would then need to go on and do mm-hmm. Delta or, or even an MA. Yeah. Um, that would make sense to then kind of move into more professional roles. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also wonder why the Delta, for instance, in Italy is not such an, uh, a recognized qualification at all. 
whereas it's fully recognized everywhere else, really. Um, but Italy doesn't seem to have it on their map. Yeah, um, I'm, I had a friend, I mean, but even like, I know, for example, I'm looking into doing master's next year. And I know that a lot of, um, a lot of organizations will recognize my Delta and give me points for it yeah um towards the vma so i don't have to do certain core modules which is really great so they're recognizing it at master's level which is the level it is actually pitched at um but um here in italy it doesn't seem to be worth anything but then i mean i've got friends who are at university and they have since you know they 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 joined sort of university 20 years ago continually have to reapply for their jobs mm -hmm. And they've done masters, but they're not recognized. <laughs> yes, yes. I had that same thing when I was applying to do my masters in uh, language studies. So it was like that. And I think that I had to fish out for my uh, Delta handbook to demonstrate that I was at least a C1 and C2 level um, because they wanted a proficiency level certificate and I didn't mm -hmm. have one because I, I had a teacher qualification. I didn't think I need, needed uh, a proficiency kind of test um, done. But um, I had to really, because they said, okay, show us something that will, you know, attest to your level of being at least a C1 because then you would get some uh, extra credit and you wouldn't need to do the English test, which really I had no trouble doing, but I thought, okay, it's going to be more hours of studies, you know, and I had to. So I wanted to prove that to them. And I, I went into the Delta handbook and I found that, you know, only C1 to, or C2 level uh, proficiency level could have even taken part in mm. doing the Delta, say, say. And they recognized it at a C1 level. So the minimum, because it was C1 and C2, they recognized it as a, as a C1 level, giving me like, three extra points or something like that but that was that was it I wasn't um you know nothing else came from it except for that and that therefore in this past year I've gone through <laughs> the testing systems as well and I've taken the IELTS yeah, last June I've taken the IELTS and I did the Thai exam recently yeah and I got what yeah was that? <laughs> Uh, you know, test for interactive English. I'm actually glad I did it because it um, it really tested my skills to a C2 level across all skills. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, again, that is the level expected of non-native English teachers in some organizations. So C2 level across all skills, which is, I, I assure you, very hard to get, mm. especially if you're taking a test like, I don't know, a proficiency test like the IELTS, for instance, because it's literally... I would say probably someone has obtained a nine in all skills, but it's really, really hard because it's, you know, a high stakes exam, uh, which doesn't really look into the actual way you have of communicating in, in English. It's not anything interactive. It's very passive. If you think mm. about you know, the listening and the reading, the text that you don't, you might have no awareness of because, you know, it's a topic that you've never treated before. So um to to just put it you know there there had been um a sort of a research done on what a native speak native level speaker would have uh gotten on the IELTS and the average score was 6.5 <laughs> yeah see one <laughs> <laughs> yeah and so it is definitely uh not not okay if you're if you want to become a teacher so I I went into you know kind of a 
kind of a phase where I was looking for something that would realistically assess my level of English without having to go through all these strategic uh, exams. Um, and the tie was the, the right one for me because I thought that, you know, it's, it's recognized in Italy by the yeah, Is it recognized by Mua? Yes, it is, it is. Okay. And so I, I had to do that because as we were saying, you know, the Delta didn't quite uh, elevate my profile as, <laughs> as one would have imagined. It's and extraordinary though, it. isn't it? I mean, having done the Delta and having also, you know, supervised and, and been a tutor. Yeah, I, I, trained, I, I trained for the oh, IELTS, yet I didn't get a nine <laughs> across all, all bands, you know, I did, in all skills to, to prove that I was a C2 level in everything. Uh, yet I was teaching the IELTS and I did my module three, you know, creating a course <laughs> for IELTS, but uh, designing a course from scratch. But yet I, I didn't make it either. So that makes you question, are we really testing our learners knowledge? You know, they often say it's for academic purposes that they do that. Yes. But how realistic are they for someone who is a student of English to get mm -hmm. a very high result and, and a result that would reflect in actual fact, their, their own skills, you know, that, that mm. they've acquired through years and years of learning. So, yeah, I don't think I'll teach IELTS the same way as I did before after having <laughs> taken it. Yeah. yeah maybe yeah. maybe have a, I had Fatima on, on the show a couple of weeks ago, and she's a real, real expert in, in what, you know, IELTS teachers really need. Um, mm -hmm. if you want to listen back to that. She, um, she has quite a lot to say um, on how to really help students focus because it is a very. Um, oh my gosh, it's it's, it's one thing you know. I, one thing you be, you can be certain of if you ask someone um, who is a native speaker if they've taken it. You know, it just not many people have. I don't think no. other. <laughs> I haven't found anyone else who's been through it. But when you do, like other than myself, um, it's very stressful. It's very, very, um, I don't know. It just doesn't put you at ease. And the fact that uh, everything is timed uh, and there isn't much time to do any of, the, the listening is super fast. And there, there are points where it's deliberately made to make you, you know, kind of make it harder on you. And well, I don't know if it's to make it harder on you, but it's to, I mean, I know, for example, proficiency, you need a pretty long it's a very very long day I think it ends up being about nine hours um for IELTS it's about it's about <laughs> four hours mm. definitely that you're at that's it without a, a lot of you know breaks in between mm. I would say so I mean it's um and the the written part so I scored an 8.5 in the writing and I'm still wondering what I might have done wrong you know considering that I, I write articles I've written a whole you know <laughs> Uh, I just don't understand how that could have been. And the only thing I scored a nine in was the speaking and which was the only human factor that I had because there was someone who was, but it wasn't natural as the tie was, for instance, because they had like a set of, uh, of questions that were very robotic and they just went faster and faster just to see how fast I could elaborate a response to it. Uh, but it didn't feel like a human interaction. No one would do that in real life if you know what I mean mm. no one would speak to you in a way to 
<laughs> have you fumbling for words or you know what, what a strange question to have asked okay I'm going to try to I think that that's the kind of trying to, to get to the abstract concepts so exactly throwing something exactly. At, at you and seeing like who did you meet today um oh my god okay hold on a sec <laughs> <laughs> It's not, it's not the way, you know, speaking would happen between two, two people in, in an outside setting, in a real world setting. So yeah, it, it had me thinking about what we actually expect of our learners as well as a teacher. So, also what we expect of our teachers. I know, um, I know, for example, a lot of organizations have competence-based interviews, mm -hmm. um, which is kind of, <clears throat> it was very, very popular, you know, 10, 15 years ago, but some organizations are still using it. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting talking to my dad, who's quite into sort of uh, recruitment and how now um, there are sort of different phases to recruitment in Australia anyway. Um, mm -hmm. One is kind of uh, getting you out in an informal situation and seeing, I mean, it would be great if you could come up with an exam that kind of followed, replicated this. An informal situation, sort of having a coffee, or a quick drink to kind of see what you like and how you interact yes. and then sort of talk then going to sort of more formal interview styles and talking about examples of, of things that you've done in your work and also um, chatting to other people <laughs> getting reference yes yes well I always make that you know the example of uh, I totally agree with that because you would never kind of explore topics that you've never spoken about I'm sure that anyone can be made to feel uncomfortable if mm -hmm. one would say you know why don't you talk to me about you know the climate change and I was like I'm not an expert in this uh, topic even though we hear a lot <laughs> about it yeah but now I couldn't write an expert article on that um you know and it's uh, I think that each person is a bit like with translation right if you become a translator you are supposed to choose a field mm. that most you know kind of rep represents you or if you've studied it more and you know the technical technical terms that go with it so if you're a translator you can't suddenly translate everything no so why would i why would one speak about everything or anything um and that you know i feel like as teachers we're trying to find a, a method where like one size fits all in terms of approaches and methodologies and something that and uh, I'm afraid we, it just does not exist. Uh, one size does not fit all. And every learning scenario is very different from the prior and, and uh, keeps evolving. Like that's why I think, you know, with all these artificial intelligences coming out and the things that you can do, uh, it still needs a human feedback, doesn't it? Because yeah. it wouldn't make any sense if someone in that position and with that awareness of what real life is really like can actually say well I can use this but this no it's not appropriate that's that's the only thing we can count on is that that human feedback of a professional a qualified professional that would say okay I'm not going to use this and that's really I'm changing the topic here a little I'm aware but uh, <laughs> excuse me if I digress but that's the point with artificial intelligence right uh, it's a resource if you know how to use it like with anything yeah uh, otherwise, the danger is that, you know, with all the lesson planning that there, you can find so many websites and resources online. And that gives you this idea that anybody can teach the content because mm -hmm. there's so much resource there. But it's really not true. Not well, there, are, there are two variables there, aren't there? there are the, there's the teacher 
and mm. there's also the students and yes you can have a, a great series of lesson plans but you still need to adapt them to your learners needs interests you know what they need to work on so there's never a one-size-fits-all totally totally and you can have the perfect plan and deliver it the uh, most effective way possible but it still doesn't make you uh, the right teacher for that because you're just reading off a script at that stage the student can learn from that script uh, by themselves I don't see you how you can read this you give the script to the students and they could do it for <laughs> exactly, exactly you know you, the student has the student has artificial intelligence at their fingers yes yes and it, it feels like we're we don't we don't realize that they have the same tools as we have so what are we <laughs> What are we bringing to the table that the students, you know, can't get through artificial intelligence? I have uh, to tell you a little story about that offline. Um, just for the moment, we're going to go to um, the news and we'll be right back to continue the conversation. Okay. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. At the National Higher Education Conference, Unison Assistant General Secretary John Richards opened proceedings with a damning critique of the government's approach towards university education, according to Unison's own website. Mr Richards focused on out-of-touch ministers who failed to understand the current funding crisis and pointed out that the funding models across the UK seem to be broken. He cited the issue of limited government funding as causing a de facto cap on student numbers and accused the government of trashing the UK's reputation for higher education in Europe, leading to big drops in the numbers of overseas students a story covered by Teachers Talk Radio News last week. Mr Richards went on to assert that those in government do not understand the cost of living crisis because they've never had to face it. Strike action by those working in the HE sector has been part of a wave of action taken by unions across a range of public sectors in recent weeks. The last week saw the release of details of government plans to revamp children's social care in England. BBC News reported on the plan for more early support for families and the extra £200 million funding for the next two years. Last year, a review warned that tens of thousands more children could end up in care without additional funding and reform. The plan has faced criticism that many of the changes are being rolled out as localised pilots rather than a national programme. The government plans to put families at the heart of the reform and intends to provide better support for all vulnerable children in order to reduce the need for crisis intervention. There will be pilots in 12 local authorities which will deliver more early support for families struggling with addiction, domestic abuse and poor mental health. There will also be more family type placement for children in care with relatives, friends or foster families. Other changes include plans to recruit more foster carers, 
a simpler process and more support for relatives or friends who take on children, a rise in the leaving care allowance and support for councils to recruit and retain more social workers. Economic Constitutional and Social Policy Forum Politea has published an article focusing on its views of the proposed changes to the school's history curriculum. The publication History, Whose History? The Battle for the School Curriculum features three historians' views on the proposals. The government's plan for reform came in response to recommendations from the Commission on Race and Ethnic Disparities. The plan for a new model history curriculum for pupils to see themselves as integral parts of what makes up the UK today was proposed. The essays included in the publication focus in on the responses of a variety of academics who all appear to conclude that there is no need for the proposed changes because diversity is already built in the current programme. Further details of the publication and forum for debate can be found on the Politea website. Finally, a school principal in a rural part of Northern Ireland has expressed concerns over safety after it emerged that recruitment of lollipop men and women is being frozen. It comes as part of a drive to save money. The current power sharing deadlock in Stormont meant no budget could be agreed and significant cuts needed to be made. The principal of a rural primary school, Donna Winters, told the BBC that until recently there had been consistent crossing patrol staff that have been vital in making sure pupils can cross roads safely, but that they have not had staff since December. The school has had to resort to employing a patrol staff member directly and, when they are absent, teaching and support staff have to fill in. Ms Winters went on to point out that safety was not an area where cuts should be made. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, it's Safer Internet Week, with the official day being on the 7th of February. This year, the UK Safer Internet Centre focuses on Want to Talk About It, making space for conversation online. They've got loads of educational resources on the website saferinternet.org.uk, banded into 3 to 7, 7 to 11, 11 to 14 and 14 to 18 years of age. They are even translated into Welsh and have adapted resources for SEND and ALD. So... They have pretty much covered all bases. You need to take a look. But why do we need to get our young people talking about this? Well, let me try and give you an idea in one breath. <gasps> With an estimated 5.16 billion people using the internet at 64.4% of the world's population, it's estimated that around 500,000 predators pose a threat to young people daily, with the main target being 12 15 year old children. With a quick search of statistics from the internet, I found supposedly 1 in 25 children will be manipulated in some way this year, and 80% of predatory behaviour will be through social media. This couple with only 15% of parents actually knowing what their children are doing online makes this an issue which definitely needs to be talked about with our young people. <sighs> To get some perspective on this, every 60 seconds, TikTok users watch over 167 million videos. Data never sleeps. We need to know how to stay safe because the sheer volume of data means it cannot effectively be policed. Please send your thoughts amongst the 575,000 other posts every 60 seconds on Twitter at TT Radio Official. I'm Steve Woods and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. And welcome back, Mary. Um, we were just in the break, just talking about, um, you, you have quite a lot of interactions on uh, social media and I love reading them. 
And I think there are, lots of, there are lots of lurkers out there that are like it, listening and liking or reading and liking. Um, but you just mentioned that you you wrote to someone. Yes, on um, because LinkedIn, I think, is becoming very aware of this, you know, the native speaker is an issue. And um, some people write about the, this discriminatory practice of wanting certain teachers from certain locations. And I posted something on it as well. And this lady answered she, that she's an English language teacher, but she's okay with people, uh, you know, or referring to referring her own students at a certain level to other teachers who are native speakers, because she understands how that uh, might be the case and better for them. But how is and it better for them? I think this is the, the that the the case is here. The case being is that when you have this imposter syndrome or you have been fed this narrative for such a long time, you start to believe that you are not uh, as good of a teacher as you might think you are. And this lady, I think, and I wrote to her saying that I think that you have not that I want to be judgmental. I don't know mm -hmm. anything about her, but you know, reading that she's a qualified teacher, and then she takes her students up to intermediate level and then passes them off like willingly, you know, she loses her clients over the fact that she herself tells them, you know, okay, your, your, your journey here should end with me because this is all I can give you. And why don't you go to a native speaker who, you know, you'll, you'll learn more from someone who is basically unqualified, but, um, you know, more apt to teach. And, it really, it really bugged me a lot. And I realized, you know, there's so, so many conversations that need to be had, not only for, um, you know, the parents, our clients and recruiters, but also the teachers themselves, because, you know, the, the practice turns into belief and you're, you're really setting teachers up for failure once they believe that they in fact are not good enough. I can see that, um, I can see if you're a new teacher starting out, you might want to start with your, with a, although, you know, teaching beginners for me is a lot more difficult than teaching, a, mm -hmm. um, you know, a B2 class. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when you, when you go and actually teach a beginner's class again, it doesn't happen very often for me. You really have to stop and think very carefully about the students and what they need. And there's a lot more planning that goes into that. Um, but in the past, sort of in language schools, there was that idea that there was sort of the new teachers would get the the pre-intermediate, intermediate levels. And then as you got more experience, you could move up the levels and start teaching advanced and proficiency. And I remember many years ago, we kind of turned that on our head because we had we had so many experienced teachers and the people had kind of got stuck in levels. And mm -hmm. a couple of, of really good teachers said, you know, we're sick of teaching um, B1 and B2 <laughs> dance class. And they're like, yeah, you're absolutely right. But then the people who've been, like the really experienced teachers who've been teaching the advanced classes were really peeved that they then had to come back and <laughs> they had to come down. It's been happening in the primary school as well when you have to go from fifth grade to first grade and it's like, oh, I'm not ready, you know, to go from age 10 to age six again, but that's not the point of being a teacher, no? The more varied your experience, all the better. I mean, there's... there's you need to, you need to change levels because if not, you just get kind of stuck in the day-to-day teaching the same thing all the time yeah um and more teacher talk on that is that when i began teaching for this school that hired me and as i was non-qualified but sounded the part um <laughs> i 
I did uh, an upper intermediate class. I remember it to this day. Like that was my first experience teaching mm. upper intermediate. Okay. And I remember that I was, you know, I had a conversation. Thankfully, it was the first lesson. I didn't know the student. I didn't know the level. I was just handed the books. Here's the key to your office and go and do this in company course, by the way. Mm. And I was, uh, okay, hi, nice to meet you. And I spoke. And so I said, okay, what do you think you could improve? And as a native speaker would, because at that stage, I was the, the embodiment of the native speaker with no idea as to how you learn a language, even though I, I already spoke uh, four languages at that stage but still I had no idea I never studied a language as a teacher so I was really adhering the headlights thinking what's next you know what questions mm. could they ask me and I was really afraid and then it was oh you know for me the hardest part is studying phrasal verbs mm. I was like oh yeah what are they <laughs> okay. I like telling this story because it really I mean, I have been the native speaker myself, you know, uh, I can say to, I was ignorant. I, I learned about the present perfect well into old age. No one ever taught it to me. I yeah. learned English as the most natural sounding language, the language that I saw, I heard on TV, on the radio, the songs that I listened to. That's how I learned uh, English. And obviously I wasn't ready to teach. And I realized that from that first lesson and I was like, oh my God, give me this manual and the teacher book and everything. And I, I, I sought teacher training immediately. Mm. Um, and I realized, oh my God, there's so many things I don't know about the language myself. And I like, I kind of could like this job. Let's, mm. let's just try and see, right? Unfortunately, it doesn't go like that for most people. Most people are just like, easy money. Yeah. I'm not going to invest a penny. They love me for this. I don't need to, you know, I'll just have a drink with my students and tell them I don't know the answers to their questions and a school will back me up and say I'm a native speaker. And unfortunately, that's what happens. That's why I'm so passionate about uh, this. I will never stop talking about it, I think, because it's <laughs> it's just so, so wrong on so many different levels. You know, imagine the, the company actually paying a lot of money for that. Yeah. And and the student not having someone who really has their best interest at heart, and uh, how someone else might not be getting that job because they speak with an accent, but know much more than I would have known at mm. that stage, right? Yeah. It is it's painful if you consider the implications of that kind of attitude towards um, clients, students, people, people mm -hmm. in general. Yeah, no, it it is kind of tricky. Um... I, I don't know how that I think the problem is is that there is there are lots of really good organizations out there that are really taking this on board um but they're the kind of smaller as they call them cowboy units um that aren't mm -hmm. and I think the fundamental cause of all of this is actually money <laughs> it's the root of all evil it is isn't it but it's a, a necessity and um, I just don't know how, yeah. Well, eventually, tell me some of your success stories because I know you've been supporting people and, you know, really you know, working with people and getting this movement going. My success stories kind of remain hidden in a way that um, 
people privately tell me about the success story or they tell me that something has changed or they have stood up for themselves or they have said something to a recruiter or an employer uh, that they would have never found the courage to do so. So, but they remain very private. I still think that a lot of people find it hard to uh, come out. I recently did, I'm going to talk about one of my failures because I, <laughs> I like to focus on those. I recently said on uh, Instagram that I was going to do like a campaign and say, you know, uh, what um, what have you ever, if you want, I actually put out a post and I said, um, if you want to collaborate on fighting discriminatory practices and just, um, you know, write something in the comments that you want to take part in the collaboration. And many people wrote collaborate, collaborate, they all wanted to collaborate. And I said, okay, so tell me something. And I obviously stated that as a non-native teacher, something that you have been told that was discriminatory towards you personally, you know? So it might be uh, change your name to a different name or what nationality are you, or you should be this or that. And I know for a fact that hundreds and thousands of people have been told that, like in my, just oh, my yeah, circle yeah. of friends, there's so many people who've had that. And I had zero people wanting to collaborate. <laughs> and that was my like I learned so much from that post I was like wow how are you going to fight something if you don't want to speak you don't even want to voice it you know and that was a lesson for me could you not get them to give you your, their comments anonymously or no because I wanted them that's what probably I if I had told them just write it they would but they would never put they would never put their face in their name to something that happened to them I mean how how validating how how much more validation could you you know seek something that happened to you on a personal level and you can't talk about it uh, for fear of losing your job or what would be the reason behind it mm, yeah that's that's my thought or, you know, the, and I was going to share it on my, it wasn't even going to come up. I could have even not tagged them, but just said, uh, you know, it would have raised awareness more and more and, and more people might have found their own voice by listening. So many people do their own kind of coming out, hmm. but it didn't work, but I'll find other ways to do it. But I realized that, like I said, it's success stories that I'm being told um, are very <laughs> on an intimate level and in my inbox and I take very, very much pride in that. And sometimes it's the actual teachers or recruiters that change their way and they're fighting the system, uh, this backward mentality. So I'm very happy if that happens. And sometimes it could be, uh, you know, someone changing their mind just for like one candidate or two, just because they have, uh, you know, they, they, they've seen something or someone has told them something. And I think people underestimate the power of influence. The power that you might not be in the place to make certain decisions, but you can say something that will influence that person's behavior towards even the slightest form of discriminatory practice. Mm. And I mean, I noticed you, there was a, a post recently on LinkedIn um, regarding language teachers in, in Thailand, not was it Vietnam? In Vietnam. Vietnam, I think, yeah. And I think the, the people that were commenting most on that were actually yourself and the president of IATEFL, Alex. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Alex, so uh, she's a pretty important person. Yes. <laughs> I mean, she's, and she really does stand up for that. And people, 
in her position. So you've got David Valente and lots of other people who are really, really behind this cause. Mm -hmm. not interested in the nationality. Yeah, but that, that just proves my point. It's not who is behind it. You mm. can really play a very important part, just like in your time. You might think you have no influence whatsoever and you don't know important people. But, you know, I am literally a nobody. I'm here, you know, I've been... Uh, uh, more freelance I would, than I wouldn't call you and an nobody <laughs> <laughs> I would I would because I really started off like I say I work from nothing and really am still nothing I've changed I've never have I've never had uh you know I've never worked the same job uh, for two consecutive years as an English teacher which I take a lot of pride in because I think that I've seen it all <laughs> I'm <laughs> <laughs> I'm very happy. Variety um, is the spice of life. <laughs> yes. And I, you know, people, I, I tend to see the silver lining in everything. And I'm happy that I've had, uh, you know, experience with uh, private tutoring, company courses, business courses, advanced courses, IELTS training, uh, primary uh, education, secondary education, English as an L1, English as an, I don't think many people can mm. say that, you know. Um, I've even had like old, <laughs> sorry, like elderly people, old grandmas coming to, I've had like my highest, uh, my eldest student was like 85. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen it all. And I'm really happy that it has given me like a wider perspective, but literally, I don't think I have any influence. If I think about it, if you think about, I'm not within an organization for a long time to be educating anyone. Uh, but I have created this sort of platform where I openly talk about things and that has given me enough power within itself mm. to uh, maybe change or bring a fresh perspective into the minds of those people who have a phone in their hands. <laughs> so it has changed a lot. And I, I've heard recently that someone has used me in their own private language, I don't know, a private course as a personal branding kind of uh, figure I'm I'm very good at personal branding apparently mm -hmm. I didn't know I was even doing that you know so it just really I just realized you know there's so much power into what you the, the 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 testimonial that you bring as to what has happened what you're doing and it changes people's minds when you're open about certain things mm. especially those things that you know uh require you know uh, kind of a reflective process and a reflection upon uh, your own identity in somehow both as a teacher as a human as a person and why we are judged uh, or why we make it a met metaphor mm -hmm. it's like a little can <laughs> mm -hmm. you're just slowly you know winding it open and, it, and eventually it's all going to come out isn't it it is well it's unavoidable yeah it's, it's unavoidable but yeah you have to like with teaching you know you have your reflective practices and they're the most important ones especially when you're you've done your your a lesson plan you've done your teaching etc cetera, etc cetera. then at the end of the day you have to kind of self-reflect back on what it is that happened you know so uh, we need to be asking ourselves certain questions to not have to not go down that kind of rabbit hole into thinking I'm not good enough or what went wrong or why am I not so you have to ask your yourself these questions and uh, in these busy times no one really takes the time probably to reflect I myself hadn't reflected on it when time and time again first I was given being given jobs uh, job opportunities without being qualified I never questioned myself I just thought well they're weird okay let's go with it yeah you know so people don't talk about all this 
all these things that are happening around us or things that are happening to to us and mm. we don't we don't even give ourselves the time to elaborate on what just happened right do you think though that i mean you you really started out sort of um during the pandemic was kind of when it all started to come together and now we're slow i mean we're really only just starting to get back out there <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. Do you mm-hmm. think that, that might have some kind of influence on on impact? Well, I think I'm I'm glad the pandemic brought about the whole online industry and gave it so mm. much more value than it did. Mm. I remember I had bought a, a book on uh, teaching English online before the pandemic because I was going to I was uh, approaching motherhood and I thought okay I don't I think I can do things but I'll do it I'll keep you know I'll take my business online and do it there and then little did I know that we went, we all went on lockdown and we uh, we tried to reinvent ourselves uh, we started to understand the value of also this uh, you know training courses webinars events that we could participate and really like we were saying before you know the resources at our fingertips are Mm. amazing but we realized that we could connect we could uh, build this connection with anyone and everywhere around across the globe which should bring us closer one might think that the this everything that's happened up until now should have brought people closer i mean half of the people i'm in contact with they're from across the globe like in a different part and we're not we're still you know, I'm I'm very upset to have this these different realities, especially if I think of Southeast Asia, where I have a lot of um, contacts with people mm. who are very uh, they're, they're excellent teachers, they're professionals in their field, and they keep telling me. And I did a recently I did an event uh, with over 200 uh, people participating, more like in the um, Arab uh, countries that you know, they have, they're experiencing lesser pay, they're experiencing, you know, like on the ad itself, it just says that if you are this teacher, you're getting this much, if you're a non like, are we even in the same world? Are we even on the same planet sometimes, you know, it's, uh, it's even worse. You know what I mean? There are no laws in place. I mean, here, there are laws that are not respected. Yeah. But at least there are, there is some law Mm. that has been conceived you know maybe not like we were saying is someone actually following i I I mean there's there's italian law european law i don't think european law is being enforced which is is a paradox if you think about it because you know um so the idea that no one is doing anything there Mm. and I'm, i'm constantly reaching out to people who might know someone who has a has even a concept of what actually is being worked on yeah in terms of you know english language uh, teaching industry in asia mm. i i would love to know i would love to get involved in that because it's it's really it's really bad it's really bad it's openly discriminatory openly right yeah we are basically dissuading these people from ever seeking to become teachers. There are not going to be enough teachers. I mean, the whole Anglophone, <laughs> you know, public, uh, if they all became teachers at a certain point, they wouldn't satisfy the public demand. And there's so much need for English language teachers. 
I get I get little calls like that all the time. Oh, you know, I need an au pair for my daughter. <laughs> Can you find me a madrilingua? And I'm like, no, they're not just lying around waiting for you to call them love. Yes, and it's like you can't expect everyone who's uh, from the UK to become a teacher until you called me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and you know, it's. Um, I think also it can have the opposite effect. Like if these are the people who are in, you know, becoming teachers and having that as like, well, I I wouldn't want. I've often considered not not doing that mm. and just taking my my business elsewhere. Because who would want to work in a in a profession where literally anyone can enter and come and go as they please? Yeah. Right. Well, how how much how that much might explain it? turnover in 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 smaller language schools sort of staff mm -hmm. turnover is quite frequent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So plans for the future. What's next? <laughs> What's next? As I was saying, that upcoming live series that I'm going to host yep. on LinkedIn and probably upload on my YouTube channel. So more on that. Um, I'm thinking about uh, webinars and workshops as mm -hmm. paid events. I've already done one and you can still catch the replay. It's only a 10 euro contribution. If you go to my website, you can still upload it. Okay. Um, yeah, so more things. I, I often do that because it really takes, it's not, <laughs> it's not even like a second job. It's like a full-time job to follow on these things and to find the people that can actually provide value and tell about their own experiences and be vulnerable really so it's really hard to um, get all that content uh, have those conversations and before the events there's literally 10 hour more work <laughs> preparing you know and uh, as you would know um, so I, I'm, I'm finding ways and probably, not probably, I'm already working on a course um, that I hope small language schools might want to get for their uh, staff or, you know, trainee uh, teachers. I, tra oh, tra I, also, I also would think one great thing for you would actually be to develop some kind of course for customer services staff, what they need to be telling yes. their customers. Yes. Uh, um, something to add to your list of things to do absolutely absolutely because you know as as I was going to a teacher uh, course uh, training I uh, no one ever spoke of that you realize that the majority of the teachers with you are non-native uh, English uh, te teachers or form of to be teachers but you don't realize you know, how come and why is it so I believe I've actually asked some centers to tell me if they could to kind of tell me uh, the 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 ratio of yeah. non-natives versus but they never they never told me this uh, <laughs> but I bet you the number of non-native teachers who are you know non-native speakers becoming teachers is far higher than native. Yeah. Uh, it's just I just the point where we're just not talking about native and non-native. We're talking yes. about qualified. Exactly, exactly. And some people say that to me since I, you know, I advertise myself as the non-native speaker. But I say, well, that's the point. I want it to become something that I can advertise my teaching mm. through being the non-native. So it's like the, you know, this clash. <laughs> <laughs> I have to bring it to the level where I say, oh, would you like to study English with me? I am a non-native speaker. <laughs> That's, that was the goal I had in mind. And because it was, you know, kind of said to me as an insult so many times, I'm like, that's, that's, that's what I'm going to call myself. I'm going to call, and I'm going to wear it with pride. <laughs> yes, yes. And I'm, I still am. And I love it that every time there is something that, you know, it's in an ad, someone 
forwards this to me and said, I thought of you because of this. And mm -hmm. I love that. But yeah, ultimately, I've, I hate this categorization and putting one in, you know, inside a box. As I said, I was perceived as a native speaker for the majority of my life. Yeah. So I'm just um, exasperating this concept until it makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> Hopefully I will succeed. <laughs> I'm sure you will. So yes, please do keep us up to date with your work. It's wonderful to see just in a year how far you've got. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And okay. I'm planning on doing more and more events uh, in the future and, you know, going more into speaker mode at live events as well. Wonderful. Make it more real. Wonderful. Keep up the good work. And it is really, really lovely to chat to you again. Thank you, Jane. See Likewise. you soon. See you soon. Bye. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.